morning, who's also an excellent musician. He is a, has been a fellow chaplain, and uh, this is my first opportunity to meet Dr. Farmer, but I have heard about him from my fellow chaplains around the country because he has probably spoken at and done music at more of the Christian College Coalition schools than anybody else I know. And uh, chaplains tend to be brutal in their analysis when we get together with one another and, and critique speakers for chapel. And uh, I had not met Richard Allen Farmer until last night, but I had read much about him by fellow chaplains. And uh, the remarks were always stellar. Uh, they were not brutal. They loved his preaching. They loved his music. They loved the spirit of Jesus Christ that permeated his teaching and music. And he came highly recommended over the last number of years. And I've been looking forward to having him here. And I'm glad that we get to have him here. He's a native of New York City with a bachelor of music degree from Nyack College and a Master of Divinity degree from Princeton Theological Seminary. He's also served as a senior pastor of the Bethany Baptist Church in Pittsburgh, and he was granted an honorary doctorate of divinity from Gordon College, where he also served with our own Stan Gady, our provost, who was provost of Gordon before he came to us. Uh, Richard Allen Farmer served as the chaplain during some of the years that Dr. Gady was the provost at Gordon. And I also heard of Richard Allen Farmer through Dr. Gady, who spoke with uh, the most warmth and encouragement. And at one point said, Barry, you're, you're just going to love this, this man. You're going to love him. He's got a great heart for Christ. He's spoken in many, many different places around the world, always preaching from the scriptures. He's spoken through a global ministry in Korea, Canada, Australia, England, Belgium, the Philippines, Japan, Taiwan, Holland, Peru, a lot of different places around the world, and that continues to expand. He's been on the boards of many fine organizations, including InterVarsity Christian Fellowship and the United World Mission. And he serves a big part of his heart as encouraging the cross-cultural witness for Jesus Christ in mission work around the world. And uh, he serves much of his time in speaking in settings like that, trying to encourage folks who are taking the Word of God out to other cultures. So let's welcome for the first time to Westmont College, Richard Allen Farmer. that I'd like to look at for the next few minutes. 1 Kings chapter 18. I hope that the Bible will be the only book you have open on your laps. If I see you with other books, I am, I'm a pretty open guy. <laughs> and I will embarrass you. I have been known to walk from the podium out to an area where I see a person reading a newspaper or being otherwise rude, and I have been known to make a spectacle out of them, and I feel a lot better. They feel kind of crappy, but <laughs> I feel pretty good after that, so if you don't want to uh, be made a spectacle of, I would suggest that the Bible perhaps be the only book that you have open and that you are not doing reading or homework uh, like might be going on in the... Uh, sixth row of the bleachers there. You might want to 
I'll do that thing now. First Kings chapter 18, I read from the New International Version. So Obadiah went to meet Ahab and told him, that is all that he discussed with Elijah, and Ahab went to meet Elijah. When he saw Elijah, he said to him, Is that you, you troubler of Israel? I have not made trouble for Israel, Elijah replied. But you and your father's family have. You have abandoned the Lord's commands and have followed the Baals. Now summon the people from all over Israel to meet me on Mount Carmel and bring the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. Perhaps you know this story. I want to talk to you this morning for a few minutes from the subject of very compelling contest. What we wimps need is steel in our spines. What we jellyfish of Jesus need is some backbone. I'm a little envious of Elijah. He, he doesn't give a rip. He just get right in your face. He's a prophet of God who has great courage and great backbone. Listen to him. He goes to the king. The king says, is that you, you troubler of Israel? And Elijah says, I'm really not the one who's the problem here. He says, it's you and your daddy. That's what, I'm not making this up. He says, right, it, it's just this side of saying, your mama. It's very close, very close to that. Is that you, you troublemaker? He says, I'm not the troublemaker. It's you and your idolatrous family. It's, it's you guys serving the would-be deities of our age that, that is the problem. I, I'm, I'm not the problem. To make a long story short, he says, you know what we really need is a showdown of the gods. So have your people meet my people on the mountain Friday, 3 o'clock, be there. <laughs> and they come together on Mount Carmel and they have a contest. And Elijah's only got two things that he wants to come out of this contest. He only has two results. He only wants to demonstrate two things in this contest. First of all, he wants to make it very clear that all deities are not the same. All deities are not equal. Now, that is so offensive in our pluralistic culture, isn't it? I mean, who gave you the right to say it's Jesus alone and only Jesus can help us get to God? How do you know that your way is right? Isn't it important for us all to like find our own way in terms of empowerment and like to just like kind of just find our own light, you know, and like how dare you like lay your particular narrow theology on me? Now I realize you're conservative and come from all those Christian colleges and everything, but like can't you like be open? Elijah says, let's, let's make no mistake about it. All gods are not equal. In fact, he says, how long will you, the Hebrew word is, how long will you limp along between two opinions? How long are you going to keep dragging your foot? If God is God, then serve him. If the living God of heaven is God, then serve him. If Baal be God, serve him. But make no mistake about it, they are not colleagues. They are not peers. They are not co-equal. In fact, his language is very betraying, isn't it? He says, listen, let's have a contest. 
And let's agree that the God who answers by fire shall be God. You call on your God, and I will call on the Lord God. Do you hear it? Hear it? We don't have the same God. I've heard people say, well, you know, I know that you're like into the conservative Christian movement and everything, but you know, you know, as long as you're sincere, and I'm sincere, I think that's what's important. Well, no, sincerity has, has never been a test of truth. Suppose I said to you, two and two equals five. You'd say, well, farmer, you're wrong. I'd say, oh, but I'm, I'm so sincere. <laughs> say, well, yeah, farmer, you're sincerely wrong. Two and two <laughs> equals four. It, it's not a test. Sincerity is not a test of truth in mathematics. It's not a test of truth in chemistry. It's not a test of truth in music and philosophy. And neither is it in theology. Even if people are sincere about worshiping a rock, they'd still be wrong. So Elijah says, I just want you to understand that you may take your risks and follow the bales, but make no mistake about it, we're not all going in the same direction. So let's have a contest. Contest is very simple. The God who answers by fire, we shall agree that that God is the God to be worshipped. We'll set up an altar, put a bull on the altar, as is the custom, and then we'll pray. And the God who answers by fire, he is God. Elijah, being a gentleman, and perhaps knowing these people have a lot more to prove than he does, says, you guys may go first. They say, okay. Now we break back into the text. Listen to this. Verse 26. Then they called on the name of Baal from morning till noon. Oh, Baal, answer us, they said. But there was, this is a sad line, no response. No one answered. And they danced around the altar they'd made. You know, you can expend physical energy, but if you're wrong, you're just wrong and now tired. <laughs> no amount of physical energy can turn falsehood into truth. They danced around the altar. You can work up a sweat, but if you're wrong, you're wrong and sweaty. At noon, Elijah began to tease them. Shout louder, he said. And they said, okay. And so they shouted, they shouted louder. He said, maybe he's away on a trip. Maybe he's busy. Maybe he's asleep. Uh, surely, if he's a god, he ought to be able to answer you. Why don't you shout louder? I've given you half a day. So they shouted louder. And slashed themselves with swords and spears as was their custom until their blood flowed. Let me tell you, you can dance around an altar and you can even mutilate yourself. But if you're wrong, you're wrong. You can cut yourself until your blood flows in the streets. But if you're wrong, you're wrong. And bleeding. Midday passed. And they continued there, listen to this, frantic prophesying. By now they're embarrassed that God hasn't come through. But there was, I have this underlined in my Bible, no response. No one answered. No one paid attention. Let me, let me tell you something, folks. A God who can't hear you can't help you. If you pray to your God and your God can't hear you, well, what's the point? That was the problem with idolatry. There were intricately carved statues who had ears, but, but they couldn't hear. Psalm 115 talks about this. They have lips, but they can't speak. They have eyes, but they can't see. So what, what's the point? 
Then Elijah said to the people, come here to me. I like to imagine he was an old boy from Texas. This is really what he said. Are y'all done? I done give you all day. You, are you finished? I, I gave you all day to call on your God. Would you agree that if he was going to answer, he would have answered by now? I've given you till evening. It's now the time for the evening sacrifice. Elijah says, if you're done, I'd like to now have my turn, please. Just so that they wouldn't think, well, they did all the work all day and now he gets the credit for some spontaneous combustion. He says, let's, let's start all over again. And so they rebuild the altar and he says, he gives instructions to have it doused with water. Just wet down the sacrifice, dig a trench around, fill the trench with water and make it downright impossible for this to be assumed to be some spontaneous combustion. This will be no accident. If, if this God can set this wet up sacrifice on fire, then he's God. Then Elijah prays. I told you there were only two things he wanted to prove on this mountain. One was that all deities are not equal. The second thing he wanted to make clear is that he does what he does not to validate himself and his own ministry, but to point people to his God. That we do our ministries not so people say, my, Westmont, what a great college. Or Baptist, what a great denomination. Or Methodist, what a fine group of people. Or Mennonites, what great social activists. We do what we do so that we point people to our God. Our, our motivation is to get people to see our God, not to get people to see us. I, I'm glad I wasn't there because I would have been so tempted on the mountain to say, God, would you please rain down fire? And let these people know not to mess with Richard Allen Farmer. <laughs> Would you please come and validate my ministry so they know that I am to be taken seriously. That, that's really not of concern to Elijah. L listen to his prayer on the mountain when it's his turn. At the time of the sacrifice, says verse 36, the prophet Elijah stepped forward and prayed. Now listen to his prayer. It's very critical to the understanding of this text. O Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known today that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and have done all these things at your command. Answer me, O Lord. Answer me. So these people will know that you, O oh Lord, are God and that you are turning their hearts back again. Do you hear it? It's an Old Testament version of that wonderful one-liner memory verse, which many of you know from Matthew chapter 5, verse 16 in the Sermon on the Mount, where Jesus says, let your light shine in such a way that people will see your good work and glorify your Father in heaven. That is, do your work in such a way that at best you are a conduit. And when people see the quality of your work and your service, they will immediately want to glorify your God who enabled you to do what you do. That, that's the goal. It isn't to heap glory on ourselves in our ministries. It isn't, God, would you please rain down fire so I look good. God, would you please rain down fire so the people will know that you are the Lord God and that you are calling to them. 
And if I have any function on this mountain, may I be seen as your instrument. Boy, this is the graduate level of ministry. Where, where you, you mature enough to try to get yourself out of it. And point people directly to your God. Where you don't stop to take the glory for yourself. You keep saying, may, may, I, may I introduce you to my daddy? May, may I point you to my papa? I, I, I appreciate your appreciation of me, but, but I want to tell you who sent me. That, that's what Elijah does. And his prayer is answered. Do you remember the rest of the story, don't you? Elijah prays and the fire of God falls. Now, I must admit, God showed off a little bit on the mountain. Remember, the deal was simply the God who answers by fire, he is God. Listen to what happened. Then the fire of the Lord fell, verse 38, and burned up the sacrifice. Well, that was the deal. And the wood, and the fire burned up the stones, and the soil, and also licked up the water in the trench. Now, he didn't have to do all that. But that the people may know that the Lord is God. And do you remember what the people said after the fire fell? Direct answers of prayer. And when all the people saw this, they fell prostrate and cried, Elijah's a great guy. No, that's, that's not what they said. <laughs> they fell prostrate and cried, The Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. Some of us would be standing there and say, and what about me? What am I? Chopped liver? No. But you're not nearly as great as this God who just answered by fire. You have the tremendous privilege of going into the world that so desperately needs the fire of God. You have the opportunity through your life and your ministry and your witness to point people to the fire producing God. By the way, I've read this passage many times, scores of times. I've read what comes before it and what comes after and I have good news for you today. There's been no personnel change on the throne. Elijah's God is our God too. The God who rained down fire and proved himself mighty on Mount Karma is our God too. The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Israel is our God too. The God of Miriam, the God of Lydia, the God of Phoebe is our God too. The God of Deborah is our God too. The God of Peter and Paul and Matthew is our God too. And he who anointed them for ministry who allowed them to be used to point countless people to him, is our God too. And he shall anoint your ministries and enable you to do such compelling work that people will say, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. And that's the goal. One of these days you're going to stand before the king. And I guarantee you, I don't know a whole lot, but I'll guarantee you this. He's not going to ask you what college you graduated from. Guarantee. He won't care. 
He's not going to ask you where you've been. He's not going to ask to see your passport, all the countries you've ministered in. He's not going to ask. He's not going to ask you what places you did short-term ministry in, short-term mission trips. He's, he's not going to ask you that. He's going to want to know, what did you do with my son? Did you proclaim him and live for him? And the answer, best be, yes. I'm going to close by telling you about my last trip to England. I have a great interest in classic cars, the Rolls Royce in particular. I went to, uh, I was in London, and I wanted to go see the Rolls Royce factory in Crewe, England, a couple of hours away from London by train. And I called ahead and said, could I get a tour of the Rolls Royce factory? They said, yes, we'd be happy to have you. And I told them what time my train was going to arrive in Crewe. I stepped off the platform, uh, onto the platform at Crewe, and there was a gentleman there with my name on a sign, and he escorted me to a Rolls Royce, and he was the chauffeur, and drove me to the Rolls Royce factory. We had Bickies and tea, the little reception area, and then I was taken on this tour. I can still smell the rich leather hides that were in there being applied to car seats. I can still see craftsmen hunkered down over their benches, just filing away, taking great pride in what they were making. I heard the story of a Rolls-Royce owner sometime later who was driving in the countryside and his car broke down. He was very annoyed, as you can imagine. He hiked to a farmhouse. He called Rolls-Royce. They sent a service person to come out and fix his car. The person never asked him his name. He never gave him an invoice. So the guy thought, well, perhaps he took my tag number and they'll send me something in the mail. Tell me if it's covered in warranty or if I owe them direct dollars, whatever. So the guy waits for several weeks, nothing, nothing in the mail. He, being a man of honor, writes to Rolls-Royce, Dear sirs, my car broke down such and such a day. Your technician fix it. Please tell me how we shall handle this. He waits another few weeks, nothing. He writes the letter again, sends it off, sends a copy of the letter. Finally, an envelope arrives at his house from Rolls-Royce, and he thought, oh, here it is. He opens it up, and it says, Dear sir, regarding your alleged breakdown, we have no record of a Rolls-Royce breaking down. One of these days, you and I will stand before the great king of kings. And the accuser will come and say to God, get her. Get him. They did outrageous things while on earth. Punish them good, God. Get him. I see one angel opening up the book of life finding my name and simply saying we have no record of a life horribly lived this is one of God's children this is a man who heard the Lord he is God and faithfully followed him perhaps you are thinking later on Right now I'm going to limp between two opinions, play both sides. How long? This very day, Elijah's God calls to you and dares you to get the record clean and serve him all your days so that when people see you,
and your life, they'll have to say, the Lord is God. Amen. Would you please stand for the benediction? I give the benediction with eyes open. I'm going to ask you to look at me and receive what in the early church liturgically functioned as the pastor's way of saying goodbye. It was the good sayings, the benedictus, as the pastor symbolically placed a blessing on each believer's head and sent them out into the world. Would you please look at me and receive the good sayings? And now my sisters and brothers in Jesus Christ, go from this place rejoicing that in your very compelling contest, God is seen and known. May you develop a distaste for limping along and serve the living God of heaven and scripture only. May he be your only Lord God and may he receive glory from your lives. May you be humble enough to be of use to him, confident enough to approach your culture and may the strength of Jesus Christ, God's son, be in you causing you to do what you never could do if you were left to yourselves. The Lord bless you and keep you and cause his face to shine on you and may Papa's radiance be seen in you. What you know not, may he teach you. What you have not, may he give you. And what you are not, May he make you for his glory and not our own. And the people of God said, Amen and good day.